0: Scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through chapter 4, verse 16. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also himself, he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ." until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him Who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love." Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text thank you for the unity of the body and for the way in which you cause all the members to work together to bring about growth and service and to glorify yourself. We pray that you would be with Tom as he speaks, be with us, open our hearts and our minds, and Father, we can't forget our brethren who are in the Ukraine, Who may be worshiping you from under the ground, who may be worshiping you in crowded facilities for refugees, we pray that the gospel would give them great hope and great joy and great courage as they trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: The plan this morning is to wrap up our eight-week study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit by first looking back to some of the things that we've already seen, and then concluding by adding one more facet, one more piece of the Spirit's work uh, to our consideration. My intent for the first part of this message is definitely not to go back over everything that we've covered for the previous seven messages. That obviously would take too long. (laughs) Uh, It is instead to revisit just a few of of the... the real high points, the life defining truths that we've seen in God's Word regarding the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray with all my heart that this study has been as, at least somewhat, as uh, eye opening to you guys as it has been to me. Up to this point, we've considered. We've considered uh, the Spirit and the Trinity, and these don't directly match up with the titles of the messages, but these are the big themes of the messages. The Spirit and the Trinity, the Spirit and the Word, the Spirit and the Son, and the Spirit and the Saint, the individual believer. We're going to revisit each of those and just certain aspects of each of those, and then at the end, we're going to add one more facet of the Spirit's work, and that is the Spirit and the church moving from individual to corporate level. The Bible emphatically and repeatedly declares in both testaments that there is one God, one creator God, Yahweh, the great I Am. He is the infinite, personal, eternal God who has no beginning and no end. He is the creator of all that exists Aside from himself. And he is absolutely sovereign over everything that he has created. Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 7, God says, I am Yahweh, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am Yahweh, and there is no other the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am Yahweh who does all these things. The one true God reveals himself in the Bible as three persons in one essence, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, neither the word Trinity nor the words three person in one essence are found in your Bible. But the truths that are expressed by those words are exceedingly, exceedingly well attested and abundantly supported in both testaments of God's word. Each of the three persons of the Trinity is called God. Each bears the name Yahweh, I am. Each does works that can only be attributed to God. Each is involved at all times in the work that is done by the other two. The three persons of the Trinity share one divine nature and one will. They always act in perfect harmony and perfect unity. The relationship of of essential and unbreakable oneness within the Trinity is a relationship of perfect and unchanging love. Unbreakable unity and unchanging love. First John 4 declares that love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. God is love. The reality that God is three persons in one essence is absolutely indispensable to the declaration that God is love. We talked about this in the first message. As C.S. Lewis wrote in the book Mere Christianity, quote, love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love, end quote. God did not have to wait until he created his image bearers, human beings, in order to have an object for the love that is intrinsic to his nature. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit from eternity past have enjoyed perfect love, communion, fellowship with one another before any created thing or any created being existed. When God made Adam and Eve in his image, he extended the eternal love of the Trinity to His image-bearers. His gracious intention for mankind was that we would be both recipients and bearers of the love that originates in the Triune God. The love that uh, that God has always known within Himself. His grand design for His his image-bearers is that we would be bound together with him and with one another in God-sourced love and unity. And I, I, it just delights me that that was really the focus of, of our worship this morning, is, is the unity that we have in Christ because of the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Garden of Eden, when, uh, when man first exalted his own word over the word of God, uh, that relationship of pure and unhindered love between God and man, and between man and his fellow man, was catastrophically broken. God decreed upon man and all creation the curse of death that touches all created things and all created beings. And that's not merely, as you know, it's not merely physical death, it is spiritual death that alienated and separated us from God and and unless God did something to resolve that problem, that separation would last for for all eternity. But in God's magnificent plan to redeem his image bearers and to reclaim us for himself, he sent his son, the second person of the Trinity from heaven to earth to take on our humanness and to show us his character and his ways in person. Jesus lived a sinless life, and then he died on a cross in the place of sinners like you and me, and he was raised from the dead. His sacrifice in our place is the only satisfactory payment of our sin debt to God. If you are seeking any other way to be reconciled and right with God, there is no other way, there is salvation in no other name for there is no, no other name that has been given under heaven by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. Now, all who trust in Jesus are brought into union with Him and are once again made both recipients and bearers of the same perfect love that has existed between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from eternity past. We who belong to Christ through faith have been drawn into that relationship of perfect love. And no one can take that away from us. That's what God says, Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. It's the love of God. It's the love that belongs to God and proceeds from God alone. And and beloved, God intends for you and me who trust in Jesus, he intends for us to know this, that we have been drawn into this extraordinary eternal relationship of perfect love and perfect unity. We don't yet manifest it perfectly, but but that day is coming. First, the Spirit and the Trinity. Secondly, the Spirit and the Word. The Bible, (laughs) the Word of God to man, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Not in isolation from the other two persons of the Trinity, but it is overwhelmingly the Holy Spirit to whom the work of bringing the revelation of God to mankind is attributed over and over in both testaments. In his word, God has revealed to us everything that we need to know pertaining to life and godliness. Second Peter 1, he delivered this revelation to, uh, of God to man through human agents. Also, Second Peter one: men born no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, but men born along by the Spirit—that means propelled by the Spirit—spoke from God. The Holy Spirit used human agents to produce a perfect result, untarnished by the involvement of men, and that that result is the word that that we bear. One of the things I pray we'll all walk away from within in this study is, uh, is that the Holy Spirit's work in the heart of every believer is inseparable from the Word of God that the Holy Spirit authored. If you look at the passages, if you look at what's declared about the Spirit's work in the life of the people of God over and over countless times, it is the Spirit working through the Word that changes us. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul tells us it is in, the, in words taught by the Spirit, and he means the words taught through the prophets and apostles, that we now know things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not even occurred to the heart of men. For, and then the next verse says, for to us God revealed these things through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. God intends for us to know that by the Holy Spirit's work, through the Spirit-breathed scriptures, he's given us everything that we need to know, to be equipped for every good work, everything that we know, that has anything to do with life and godliness. We have it all by the work of the Spirit through the Word. The Spirit and the, and the Trinity, the Spirit and the Word, and the Spirit and the Son. <laughs> Again, there's a whole lot that I could say at this point and by way of review. We did two, two whole messages on this about the role of the Holy Spirit in the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus during His first advent, His first time here on earth among men. But but I want to focus at this point on just one profoundly important reality about the Spirit and the the Son, and that reality is the utter dependence of Jesus on the Holy Spirit during his time here among us when he came to seek and save that which was lost. This is a hard concept for many, and we talked about that some at the time, but it's We we don't have trouble particularly recognizing the deity of Jesus. Um, We have trouble understanding the humanness, the humanity of Jesus. One thing that we must know, beloved, about the humanity of Jesus is that, that Jesus, who is perfect God, eternal God, set aside many of the benefits of his own divine nature so that in his human nature he would become as we now are. And that means dependent on the work of the Spirit. I wanna, that point is so, it's so very important for for our lives as the children of God that I wanna say it again. When Jesus came from heaven to earth and took on our humanness, he voluntarily set aside many of the benefits of his own divine nature in order that in his human nature, he would become as we are now, dependent on the Holy Spirit. It was entirely voluntary on Jesus' part. It was decreed before anything existed that he would do this. You with me? I hope hope you see how profoundly important this is. He made himself as we now are, yet without sin in his case. And that brings us around to, uh, to the Spirit and the saint. The person of the Trinity who is most directly involved, most directly at work in the life of every believer and in the life of the church corporately, day by day, is the Holy Spirit. We think of the Spirit as this, this mystical distant person and we struggle to understand his role in our, in our lives, and, and yet if we, just, if we just pay attention to what God has decreed in his word, we find, it, we find him everywhere in our lives. He's involved in everything that affects us. He is active in every facet of our salvation, that which is already the part of that salvation that's already 100% accomplished and the part that he's still doing the justification that made us right in the eyes of God for all eternity, and the sanctification that is imparting that righteousness to us in practice. And he will be active in the last part of our salvation when we are raised and given new new eternal immortal bodies to dwell forever in the presence of God. When we were lost and dead in our sin, it was the Holy Spirit who convicted us of sin and righteousness and judgment as he now continues to convict the whole world. He did so working through the word of God, the word of the prophets and apostles. He, the Holy Spirit, regenerated every man, woman, and child who has ever trusted in the gospel in the promises that are fulfilled in Jesus and I've said this before, but people ask a lot, how, was, how were Old Testament saints saved? And I, I believe very strongly the answer is, is they believed the promises that are fulfilled in Christ, the ones that they were given. They believed the promises that are fulfilled in Christ, gospel promises. He regenerates us, and in, in, in order to do so, he convinced each of us who is trusted in Christ, he convinced us that the Father's testimony to the Son is true. That Jesus is the real deal. We saw in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, that immediately upon causing us to hear and to believe the gospel of our own salvation in Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit then sealed us with his own indwelling presence. His presence in us, is the down payment of the rest of our eternal inheritance. And as I've said many times, the down payment is a person, and that's perfectly fitting because the rest, our entire inheritance is the triune God. His presence, the Spirit's presence in us marks us as the eternal possession and treasured inheritance of the living God. And it perfectly, that that seal, that stamp, perfectly secures us for the day when God will lay hold of that inheritance. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we who trust in God have been signed, sealed, and will soon be delivered into the very presence and kingdom of our triune God, to dwell together with him along with all of the redeemed of God for all eternity. God intends for you to know this if you believe in Jesus. He intends for you to know this. The destiny of every man, woman, and child who trusts in Jesus has been forever settled by the Spirit's presence within us. God intends for you to know that. That is the wellspring of grateful submission to God, of joyful submission to God. But the the miraculous blessings of the Spirit's presence in us don't, don't begin later. They already began Through the precious and magnificent promises of God that are found in His Word, which the Spirit authored, the same Holy Spirit now makes us know God. Just like was promised in Jeremiah 31, the Old Testament. They will all know God from the least of them to the greatest of them. He makes us know God. Not from a distance, but intimately, personally, and transformingly. We talked about the fact that that our knowledge of God as New Testament saints in this era is not a lesser knowledge. It is not a less personal or, or, or more shallow knowledge than the prophets had. It is not a lesser knowledge than the apostles of Jesus had. In fact, it is greater because Jesus said there are some things that I can't tell you just yet, but the Holy Spirit will make them known. And it's the things about him. It is the things of Christ that he has made known. Through the personal knowledge of God, Peter says the Spirit now makes us partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. The Holy Spirit makes us know God, and through that knowledge, he makes us holy and useful to God set apart to God in our thoughts and our words and our actions. And that is a process, a process of sanctification. And the Holy Spirit never stops that work. He is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure all the time. God wants you to know that. He also wants you to know that you have a new nature. By the Holy Spirit's work, every person who believes in Jesus is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, old things have passed away, new things have come. Ephesians 4 says that we have been created in holiness and righteousness of the truth. And he just got through, before that verse, he said, and the truth is in Jesus. We've been recreated in holiness and righteousness. That's our new nature. God has made Christ's nature our nature. And he's done so with the intention of displaying that nature while we're still here. That's our true nature, is Christ in us. And, and God wants us to know that. He intends for us to know that. One of the most critical truths that we learn in this study through many passages of Scripture is that our utter dependence on the Holy Spirit to enable and to empower all that we say and do as the agents of God on earth, all of that dependence that we have on the Spirit is grounded in Christ's utter dependence on the Spirit to enable and empower all that he did during his first advent, his earthly ministry. Jesus was our forerunner in humble and utter dependence on the Spirit rather than on himself. The Gospels attest to this just all over the place. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus was given everything he needed to accomplish everything that God sent him here to do. In his flawless response to the temptation of Satan when he went toe-to-toe with Satan, the Holy Spirit cast him into that situation and then went with him to give him everything that he needed in every word that Jesus spoke during his earthly ministry, in every miraculous deed that Jesus did, in everything that he suffered all the way to the point of death on a cross, Jesus made himself utterly dependent on the enablement and power of the Holy Spirit so that he would speak and work and live every day of his earthly life by the same power that you and I now speak and work, and live the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our template. He is our template for how to live as children of God bearing the power and authority of Jesus Christ in this fallen and desperately needful world. We are to do all that we do in utter prayerful continual dependence on the spirit and, the, and one of the coolest things that we saw is that the Holy Spirit inhabits our prayers we we pray to the Father through the Son, by the Spirit, and we do so we do so knowing that the Holy Spirit intervenes he intercedes in those prayers so that what that God he, he hears our hearts perfectly he knows what <laughs> He knows our hearts even when we don't even know how to put our hearts to words. What's in our heart to words? He knows. This is a, it's a beautiful gift. Just as was true of Jesus during His earthly ministry, the Holy Spirit now enables and empowers us to do everything that God has ordained for us to do. In Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul says, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And if you read the verses that came just before those two, it's crystal clear that that power That power by which God does exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine, that power is not an impersonal force. That power is the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him above every authority and all dominion and every name that is named in this age and in the age to come. That's a lot of power. God wants you to know that. He wants you to know that that power is your power dwelling within you by the work of the Holy Spirit, in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We're not walking around waiting for God to give us what we need. He already has. We depend on Him prayerfully, constantly, knowing that it is only by His power that we are able to do what He requires. beloved he's given him to us we have the power and that brings us to one additional facet of the spirit's work uh, and that is that I want you to we need to understand that that power what he has given to us as the people of God applies not just at the individual level but at the corporate level it applies all of these promises apply to the church in fact when you look at the promises themselves the you is always plural Doesn't mean it doesn't apply individually, it absolutely does, but but these promises are given to the church. And that's exceedingly important. The end point, the ultimate goal of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in each individual Christian is not personal holiness. Personal holiness is great, God is absolutely all about making that happen, but that's not the end point. And we need to know that. The end point is the holiness, the Christ-likeness of the body of Christ, the, the spiritual household of God, so that we will, be, we will be equipped, enabled, and empowered in all respects to carry on the work of Christ on this earth until he comes back and claims his own. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, we find a marvelous progression of fillings and overflowings. I don't think that's actually a word in the plural, but f- at least my spell corrector said it isn't. Fillings and overflowings. I love my brother Eric said this. He talked this morning about the overflow of the Trinitarian love of God. Uh, that's, that's a great thing. That's what this is about. Uh, back in, uh, in my days in the swimming pool maintenance repair business, one of my five careers, I, uh, I had a client with a three-tiered pool. It was on a hill, it was an amazing piece of work, but it, it had a, a fountain and when you turned on the pump, the fountain would fill with water and then it would overflow and it would cascade down to a second level and when it filled up that level, both fairly small bodies of water, it would, that second level would then overflow and it would cascade into the big swimming pool. That three-level pool is a useful illustration of how Paul presents the work of the Spirit. It helps, of course, that God God calls Himself the fountain of living waters in both Testaments. In Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19, Paul prays that God will grant to every believer to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. To what end? Listen, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of God which surpasses knowing that you may, listen to this, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. At the first level, the Holy Spirit works to fill up every individual child of God with Christ. We are full of of the triune God by the indwelling of the Spirit, and Christ has taken up residence in us, in the person of the Spirit. At the first level, the Spirit fills up the individual child of God with Christ, and he does so with a with a larger purpose in mind, and that purpose is to fill up the church with Christ, the second level. Verses 11 through 13 of Ephesians 4, right after talking about giving gifts, well, he is talking here about giving gifts of the spirit to equip the body, he says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And he says in order for that to happen, it requires the, the working together of every individual part of the body. As we speak the truth to one another in love, What happens is the growing, the building up of the body into one new man. Who's the new man? Christ. Unity comes from the work of the Spirit as he fills each individual Christian with Christ to overflowing and then overflows Christ into the body of Christ. And he fills up the church with an even larger purpose in mind. And that purpose is to overflow Christ from the church into the world. Ephesians 4, verse 10 presents the end point of that progressive, that three-level work of filling. It says that he, Christ, might fill all things. And that's where all this is headed. (laughs) And God wants us to know this. Ephesians one verse ten refers to that glorious end point as the summing up of all things in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things on earth. Habakkuk two verse fourteen says, "For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh, as the waters cover the sea." That's where this is headed. And at the indispensable heart of the Holy Spirit's work to accomplish that fullness of Christ in all of creation is the unity that the Holy Spirit has created in his church. Without our, without our unity, there is no overflow. And Satan knows that. I believe, with, I, I believe without question that Satan's number one strategy to work against the advancement of the kingdom of of God is to divide the church. Because he knows how critically important this is. Unity in plurality, wow. (laughs) Starts with God, right? And has been given to us. Harmony and oneness among human beings has been one of the most exalted goals of mankind throughout all of the generations of mankind. Literature, poetry, art, there's this longing for harmony and oneness among people of all kinds of different characteristics and backgrounds. But beloved, the relentless hope of that harmony, that oneness, will never be anything but a mirage apart from the union of human beings with Jesus Christ. All the way back in Genesis chapter 11, mankind zealously sought to achieve unity among men, but with God out of the picture. All of mankind lived together in one place. They shared one language. They decided they would build a tower to the heavens. But the oneness that those people shared was not a oneness in love. It was a oneness in arrogance. Self-reliance. God cursed and destroyed that counterfeit version of unity. He confused the languages of men so that they no longer understood one another. He named that place Babel to memorialize the babbling that men heard from each other's lips as a result of the curse. He scattered mankind across the whole earth. He created, listen to this guys, God created diversity between men as a curse to bring about division between men. When we Christians buy into the world's call to celebrate diversity among human beings under the pretense that that celebration will somehow fix the disunity between human beings, We are declaring together with this God-forsaking world that man can overturn the curse of division that God imposed on mankind because of our refusal to live in humble reliance on him alone. Instead of celebrating God-imposed diversity in an effort to create man-made unity, God calls us to humbly fall upon our knees before the only one who will ever create unity among men And to confess that he has already done so in his church turn in your bibles if you will to ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 22 and i want as i read this i want you to listen for how god god has graciously overcome every difference that divides human beings it was beautiful to me how this came up in the worship but And he has created God-sourced oneness in his church that displays the very nature of the triune God, unity and plurality. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 13, Now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who made both one, both Jews and Gentiles. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself, in himself, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. (laughs) And then he says he came and preached peace to you who were far away, peace to those who were near, for through him we both have our access to the Father how? In one spirit. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. You are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. In the spirit. We are built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit in us who makes us one. That passage uh, tells us that the cornerstone to which the foundation of God's spiritual household is anchored is Christ. The rest of the foundation is the Word of God delivered through the prophets and apostles the living stones or bricks that make up the building that's us and if you will allow me to expand for a moment on this god-revealed picture the mortar that secures the bricks to the foundation and the cornerstone and to each other is the holy spirit the marvelous and miraculous oneness that that binds Jews and Gentiles and every kind of people together into one new man at peace with God and at peace with each other is a oneness that already exists by the work of God. The three-in-one God is Himself the only perfect standard and expression of unity and plurality and it is that unity and plurality that God has decreed for His church. Beloved, that is the very heart of the Spirit's work in the church. Without that unity, there is no overflow. Think about this for just a moment. The great sameness that we share is the indwelling Holy Spirit. We're different in a whole lot of ways from each other. The great sameness that we share is the indwelling Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6 says, I, Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve what? The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Job one Job one in our God-given commission to walk in a manner worthy of the, the unfathomable riches of Christ that God has lavished upon us is for us to be diligent, to preserve, to guard, to watch over, to nurture the unity that the Spirit has already created between us. First Corinthians 12.13 says, By one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. It is the Spirit who is our sameness. We don't create the unity. we We just watch over it. The unity of the body of Christ in love through the indwelling of every believer by the Spirit is the single most powerfully useful attribute that God built into the church and he intends for us to know that it is that important as the bride of Christ we have the best job in the world we together as one have the privilege of participation in Christ's ongoing work to seek and to save the lost to be instruments mightily used by God to spread his dwelling place among men over the whole earth. It is through, by, and because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit in the believer and in the church that we are able to do so. And I'll close with this, with these two verses: Revelation twenty-two verses sixteen and seventeen. On the last page of your Bible. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Dear Father, thank You that we get to say, we, the Bride of Christ, get to say with the Holy Spirit, come, come and take, take of the, partake of the fountain of living waters that never ends, that overflows abundantly. The fountain by which, Father, You have lavished upon us the riches of Christ. You have made us heirs of God And fellow heirs with Christ thank you father for your spirit our helper our advocate in us with us in all things at all times until the day that you lay claim of your own treasured possession we pray this in Jesus name amen